This is Indexed. Welcome everyone to Index. This is the podcast where we dive into advanced discography and rank it, while at the same time, we're touching on their history, influences, and their place in the musical pantheon along the way. I'm your host, Mike Scarpelli, and as always, I'll be joined by my co-host, Phil Beeler. Today's episode is IDX 001.0, and we'll be indexing the discography of the Red Hat Chili Peppers. our first episode how do you feel about this thanks mike it's uh it's great to be here i will say it is a little intimidating uh never done anything like this before and uh diving right into the chili peppers who have such an influence you know across multiple genres definitely uh challenging but should be a fun experience yeah, and for listeners, if you tuned in hoping to listen about the Red Hat Chili Pipers, we're sorry. We didn't want to cover a cover band for the first episode, but hey, maybe later on. I think, I don't even know if they actually have records or not. Oh, but. they've got <laughs> nine albums. They're, they're pretty prolific. Do they really? Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Are they straight like pure covers of Chili Pepper albums? Uh, so no, they, uh, they actually cover a number of different bands. Uh, I think Queen is one of their most famous covers. Interesting. Uh, they are, they're worth I don't know how list. I feel about a Celtic Queen. All right. So yeah, early plug, Red Hat Chili Pipers. Go for it, everybody. <laughs> um, so I f- guess the first general question is Phil. How familiar familiar are you with the Red Hat Chili Peppers? Have you heard of them before I told you we're doing this podcast? <laughs> uh, yes, I think like uh, just about everyone else born, you know, before at least like 2000, probably later than 2010. I think everybody's pretty much heard of the Red Hat Chili Peppers. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's one of those bands that, uh, you know, I've... I've experienced uh, their music, been around since, uh, you know, as I was young. Some of the first music I can actually go back and, and remember has been the Chili Peppers. Um, they're, uh, when did, like, when do you, like, first remember? Like, what do you say, like, was there a certain song or did you, like, go buy a record or music video? Like, was there so what was, like, the first thing that jumped out to you or that you remember about them, I right. guess? Um, and this will, I don't know how much I want to get into that because this will come in. Uh, to a big part of the album discussion and uh, and kind of the top ranking when we get there. Okay. Uh, but a lot okay. of the experience was, uh, I mean, used to go camping all the time as a kid. Our family, a bunch of other families had a pretty good group, always a fun time. Uh, but music was a big part of that. There was always uh, a stereo going somewhere. Uh, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, the, the album that uh, will end up being my number one uh, was kind of the, the first one I can remember uh, really being played on repeat. Had my dad buy the album cause you know, I was uh, still under five at that point. Um, oh, wow. Interesting. But, okay, okay. Yeah. But uh, that was kind of my first experience into them. So it was nice going back cause there were a number of albums, uh, in their discography before this that I'd only given, you know, uh, a tertiary listen to, uh, this really made Mm -hmm. me go back and appreciate some of the fundamentals that they had in place, uh, that they, 
expanded on in, in their later albums and kind of got to the point um, where I was able to jump right into uh, what ended up being my favorite album of theirs. Nice. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess to touch on some history about them, they were formed in 1983. They're obviously still active today. Um, so the one thing I, I kind of remember reading this, I didn't remember it though. That do you remember what their, or did you ever, did you come across what their original name was? I did. And I'm really glad they changed um, it though. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I had this highlighted cause, uh, I was going to push to get the episode renamed to Tony flow and the miraculously majestic masters of mayhem. Uh, Say that five yeah. times fast. I think I'd fail after two. I'm <laughs> uh, surprised that I got that out as flawlessly as I did on that first day. Um, <laughs> no edits, no edits. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there. What it was? Uh, it was kind of meant to be a one-off, uh, one-off show. They came up with the name uh, and like playing together yep. so much it went forward. Because so I guess yeah, the original mem- the original I guess the founding members. It was Anthony Kiedis. He was the vocalist. Flea on bass. Hilal Slovak on guitar and Jack Irons on drums. And I think Hilal and Jack, they were in another band called like, what is this or something like that? So I think they were already like, Oh, we're gonna go play with these guys, but we'll do this one-off show with you. So they, and they somehow they end up switching. They change their minds along the way. Uh, They actually, uh, what is this uh, signed a record deal uh, like two to three weeks before the red hot chili peppers ended up signing. Um, so it's kind of the uh, the side project for Slovak and Irons uh, that they almost were going to give up on, um, and mm-hmm. you know history knows how that turned out for both of them. Yeah, and definitely. So the early sound for them was definitely that punk funk scene, you know, mix of punk rock, funk. I mean, you you kind of did some research on the influences. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. you could save some for the album discussion, but like you would kind of agree that I mean the funk scene was very prevalent, definitely in the bass playing for sure. Early oh on. yeah. It kind of seems, uh, in, in my impression, at least flea was, uh, definitely the, the driver of their sound mm-hmm. on those first couple of albums. Uh, his, his bass is heavily prevalent throughout, um, before Kiedis, uh, kind of took some, the reins with being a, a stronger vocalist. Um, Mm-hmm. But yeah, in I mean, we'll get to it in in a little later albums. But I think it was their uh, second album uh, where they actually got George Clinton to produce. Um, yep. yep. So that that funk is uh, a core influence to how they started. Yeah. So I guess some people might not recognize those early names of uh, at least Hillal Slovak and Jack Iron. So Hillal Slovak, he unfortunately passed away in 1988. Um, so they went through a lot of membership changes, um, but then they kind of, they, they came into their core. I call it the core. It's definitely the most famous, uh, incarnation of the band. So it's still Anthony Keys and Flea, but they added Chad Smith and John Frusciante, uh, to the group and they had a good run. Mm. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of touch on stuff later, but I'd say like probably their most popular albums all have those four on it. Um, I think I think uh, Cliff Martinez deserves a mention uh, early on as well. Um, so uh, Slovak and Irons didn't actually perform on on the first album. Uh, Martinez took mm-hmm. over on drums for the first couple, and uh, he was part of their Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction as well. Um, he, he came back and actually oh, right. played yes. with Irons uh, during yeah. That. 
I would say speaking of that, because yeah, they they got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2012. I think it was their first. That should have been their first year of eligibility, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Um, because I think it's twenty. It's 25 years after your first record. Actually, I'm not 100. Uh, it's a little later, I guess, but but that sounds yeah, about right. Something like that. But yeah, did you do you actually? Well, I I actually I didn't have access to HBO, but I think I somehow got access to it, and I watched. You know, it's like a three-hour thing, but I like fast-forwarded to get to the Chili Peppers part. It was kind of cool. It was cool to see the three drummers going at once. Yeah, uh, but I was definitely bummed for Shanti didn't show up for it. But it was kind of expected the way he kind of is. So yeah, for sure, he's uh, he's quite mercurial and comes in and out mm-hmm. of uh, of the history of the band that we'll go through as we get into to these albums. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. Um, some other fun facts that I found here. The I guess over under, or not over under, how many, I don't know if you look this up, how many number one singles do you think they had? And this is number one singles purely on, it's the Billboard alternative chart. So not like the overall Billboard right. chart, but the specific alternative um, chart. Yeah, so I know it It was quite a ways into their discography before they finally had a number one, uh, but they kind of kept it mm-hmm. flowing after that. Uh, and this is one I, I didn't... Uh, keep notes on i kind of went by uh actual singles and focus more on the albums but over uh, if we're going over under i i would go i would set it at five and i would take the over from what i remember you definitely write the over you're definitely right the over they actually had 13 wasn't that i was thinking more yeah more along the lines of seven so i definitely it is uh it is heavily weighted towards their more recent albums though i believe correct for sure yeah for sure i don't know i don't have a list of them here but yeah it's definitely the later uh later i guess five five or six albums for sure it's definitely uh yeah Um, even if if you've just got kind of a loose relationship with the chili peppers uh casual casual listener uh you you'd be surprised at how many of their singles uh, would get named off that you are actually intimately familiar with. Um, oh, for sure! So much radio play for them from like the mid '90s on. Um, let's see, and then the other thing. So they've been nominated for 16 Grammys. Of those 16, how many think they've won? Ooh, so I do know that uh, was it. Uh, I think California. Or there was one, uh, I, I noted it here. I, I really want to hit this because I want to try and get this one a little more right than the singles. Um, but I've never been known for my note taking, so this is <laughs> all over the place. Control find. There we go. There we go. So, Stadium Arcadium. Seven nominations, which was their most, and they won five of those. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to say Grammys overall, I'm going to put it at 11. They only won six. Oh, I, so they, okay, yeah. they only won one outside of that. Then. Yeah, Stadium Arcadium was the only one they won for Best Rock mm-hmm. Album. And I feel like that might have been kind of like, uh, hey, you guys have put out some good ones. Well, we'll give you it. We'll yeah. give it to you. I didn't see what they were up against, but um, it definitely like 
you know, it's later on in their yeah. discography. There were some earlier ones before that that could have won that didn't, surprisingly. Uh, I, so. I believe the follow-up to that, uh, I'm With You, came in second and lost out to uh, the Foo Fighters, if I'm not wrong. Mm, okay. Um, but, yeah, they there was another one close after that. So do you have uh, do you have the numbers on nominations with you, though, or just the wins? So maybe uh, like what other nominations they had. Yeah, because I know um, I, I think they've got yeah, so other like nominations on, that they didn't win above above the okay. six that they did get. No, I just looked at purely Grammys. I didn't look at any other like awards, I guess, like the American Music Awards or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, it's not like I guess the Grammys aren't. They don't have the same esteem, I feel like, anymore like they used to because there's so much music out there now. Like, oh. At this point, when I watch, if I do watch the Grammys, it's kind of to hate watch the Grammys. Like, whoa, well, this is not great. Um, yeah, I I can't actually tell you that I've ever. Well, I take that back. Probably in uh, in college, uh, my roommate of four years, who uh, who you also with us once, but uh, mm-hmm. good friend Ben, Hi, ben. Uh, just uh, into music and uh, just. Really liked award shows for whatever reason, so I'm pretty sure I watched a couple of the Grammys. Uh, I think we came that. over to your place like junior year or something to watch the Grammys for sure. Mm-hmm. I I vague I very f- kind of remember that happening. Um, I, I couldn't actually tell you any uh, memories of watching the Grammys. Uh, it's, it's the same any of those award shows, Emmys, Golden Globes, Grammys. I'll look up afterwards to see who won what and. Uh, Mm-hmm. Just just so I can thumb my nose at uh, the <laughs> the relevant pop acts who I actually uh, appreciate have kind of a uh, love hate relationship with, but just to feel superior to everybody else, we're like, oh no, why did they? Sure, <laughs> I feel like everyone's gonna hate us now. They're doing some snobs, uh, but uh, yeah, I think it wasn't uh, until um, like their third or fourth album where they even really started to hit any critical acclaim, um, which I think is kind Mm -hmm. of criminal because they, uh, they pushed the genre forward and influenced so many other bands right from uh, their, their debut in in my opinion, Mm -hmm. just the, the mashing up of, of genres and what they could each bring to the band. um, I think will, stand the test of time and, and put them up in some of the greats. I'm sure they're probably played on classic rock stations at this point. Um, Ugh, they might be, I think Nirvana's on classic rocks. So I feel like they gotta be, but the, yeah, looking forward, I they'll, they'll be held to the same esteem as, uh, you know, classic rock mainstays, Zeppelin, uh, Rolling Stones. Uh, not that I'm even trying to, put any comparisons forth for bands like that at this time and, and what we're going through, uh, but their, their influence and um, just immersive, immense catalog, uh, you know, would stand up yeah. with, with any of those in my opinion. For sure. I mean, for a while they were definitely like, they were, I would say, I mean, I would say definitively they were my favorite band for like a long stretch mm-hmm. of time. I like briefly like when our friend Ben, he got a tattoo in college and from like, oh man, that's so cool. Like maybe I'll get a tattoo. And like the one thing I wanted was the chili peppers pound on an arm. I think, I think he just has that one. Yep. 
or something, but like you see it everywhere kind of thing. It's a very common tattoo you'll see for the chili peppers. I was like, I want that. And then I'm like, no, I don't need a tattoo. I've been like a sophomore in college. I don't need that. <laughs> um, but I could see you getting the angel's asshole on your body somewhere. Uh, the angel. Oh, what is that? That's uh, that's Ketis's, uh lovely nickname for their logo. The, the, <laughs> the eight strand asterisk oh, is the angel's asshole. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, my God. I did not know that. Now I know. So maybe I don't want it. I would just call it an asterisk. I don't want. I'm not going to call it the angel's asshole. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's the only one that calls it that. But he was also the creator mm. of it. So, I mean, that's true. Uh, true. I would not. Uh, this. Uh, I, I'm glad that you picked the Chili Peppers for for this first podcast because um, I I had an appreciation for the Chili Peppers, but really diving into their discography. Uh, you know, going back and forth between albums, listen to them over and, and really paying attention. Like my appreciation for them has skyrocketed and definitely a lot that I've missed uh, and kind of w- wished mm-hmm. I I got into them earlier. Um, and this is probably going to segue maybe into the next topic. But uh, one we usually want to get to in what we talk about here is uh, is seeing the band live and actually being able to experience mm-hmm. them, their sound. Um, so that's one of my regrets is, uh, is not seeing them. Uh, I believe you saw them while we were in college. They played at U of I. Correct. I did. Yeah. So that was my second time seeing, them. I've seen them four times total. First time, um, was at Lollapalooza 2006. I bought a ticket just for the day to go. Cause I was, you know, big fan. That was, they were n- my number one band at the time. I was like, Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go. So like I drove, I was up in like Lake Geneva or something like at some golf outing with my family, like drove back like day of picked up my girlfriend at the time. And then we like went to Lollapalooza. It was my first time experiencing Lollapalooza. And it was only the second year it was in Chicago. It was like a stand, you know, the, the stay in one place festival at this yep. big ordeal thing. And it was really cool. It was great. But then I figured like, Oh, they're never gonna come back to Chicago. And then they announced like, Oh, we're playing in champagne. It's like, Holy crap. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was actually a, uh, a lottery to win those tickets. Yes. Yeah. I lucked out with that. Both my roommate in the time and I, we both entered I ended up getting like, I was in like, I don't know, the 500s or something. I was like way in the back of the line, essentially. Like I would have gotten tickets, I think, but it would have been like sea level, essentially, like the, you know, upper tier mm-hmm. in like a crappy seat. But he got like number 50. So he was able to go get like four tickets dead center on like the first bowl level. So it was like fantastic view of the stage. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely far. That was my favorite performance that I've seen him play to out of the four yes. times. I, I can only imagine what. Red Hot Chili Peppers would have sounded like, especially having seats like that. So I thought you, did you go that? I thought you went to that show. Did no, you or no? Uh, ben oh. went to that show. Uh, so that. Okay. I thought you went with Ben. No. That's why. At that point. Was it Brian? It, it might've been Brian. Brian. might've went with him. Yeah. Yeah. That's when. Yeah, that was good. I haven't seen, <clears throat> I haven't seen him since like 2012 though. I've skipped the last couple cycles just cause. I don't know. The albums were whatever. We can get into that too, but we'll get that into the, in our next section about rankings and stuff. Sure. But that's kind of like, I'm like, yeah, I've seen them enough for now. I'll kind of take a break. But now like I'm kind of, I'm like, all right, it's been, you know, I guess nine years at this point almost. So I think it's time I'm overdue. Yeah. Um, and the, I guess this will, this would kind of wrap it up, but Frusciani is back with the band again. 
Back, uh, so back. I'm pumped. Yeah, they're definitely. I think in if if it's within a three hour drive uh, from from where we're based here in Chicago, they're definitely on uh, my must see list for the next time they come around. Oh, yeah. Now they'll come to Chicago. Oh, don't worry, they'll play the a hundred percent. But it's just I've got I've got a I've got the concert list that you know I'm I'm at the point where. I can drive and especially, uh, you know, I would, I would see them at a smaller, uh, surrounding venue outside of Chicago, uh, for a more mm-hmm. intimate show at this point. Now that I can, uh, well, now that I've, I have some of the funds to make, uh, some better executive decisions on that, uh, I, I would definitely go, uh, non, arena venues for any of the bands that I really want to see if I have a choice. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and the, the arena rack there, there's something to be said for that. Um, you know, it's great experience, but really have, uh, like the intimate connection with a band. Um, I, I would pay money for that, for the red hot chili peppers at this point. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like if they did, I mean, I know they've already played um, at least one show with John, but it's like a small charity thing, mm-hmm. you know, like three state, you know, three songs or whatever. But like if they did some weird small tour like Foo Fighters did kind of recently where they kind of played super small venues, yeah. where he was like, hopefully get lucky and like, oh, Chili Peppers are going to play the Metro. It's mm-hmm. like, oh shit. All right. I got to try and get that. But, um, but I also wouldn't pass, pass it up and probably sure. before we picked the chili peppers for this podcast and I really dove in, did the research, listened to all these albums. They're ones I would have been, uh, happy seeing at like a, a festival or one of those big rock shows where got some other, mm-hmm. uh, sub headliners that I'd also want to see and be like, yeah, I've seen the red hot chili yeah. peppers. But Lollapalooza they, always calls, they got red hot chili peppers on speed dial. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, They'll, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll, they come like every four years, it seems like. So, uh, so whenever big festivals happen again, I'm sure they'll be back for the next incarnation of Lollapalooza, whether if they have one this year or 2022 or 2023, I'm sure they'll Um, be around. And just for posterity, because I'm sure future generations will be listening to our podcast, uh, eons from now, we are in the midst of the COVID pandemic. And have not yes. been able to see live shows uh, for close to a year at this um, point. Yeah, uh, almost nine, nine months. months. I saw a show in March. I, that was the last thing I saw, and that uh, was it. So uh, my my heart is hurting for live music. Ugh. It's the first thing I'm doing once uh, we're allowed to do yeah. stuff again. I, I don't care who it is. I'm I'm right there with you. No. Free show at the empty bottle on a Monday? Yeah. Yes, I'm there. I don't get, care. Get some driving bass into my soul. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of all I have for kind of like tidbits and notes and stuff. We'll kind of get into more stuff when we do the rankings, uh, which I think we'll get into mm-hmm. after this break. And we're back, guys. If you actually thought we had an ad read, this is our first episode. <laughs> we don't have ads. We're not sponsored. Uh, that'd be great if we did, though. So if anyone wants to hit us up, let us know. Comment on our Instagram. We'll sell it. Waiting on that stimulus. <laughs> All right, guys. So now we're getting to the part where we get to. We're going to dive into their discography. We're going to 
kind of talk about each album in chronological order and we'll kind of give our our individual rankings and then we'll kind of recap at the end um where everything falls overall um so for this discussion we're going to go through all 11 of their lps uh, they have the self-titled Red Hot Chili Peppers in 1984, Freaky Styly in 1985, The Uplift Mofo Party Plan 1987, Mother's Milk in 1989, Blood Sugar Sex Magic in 1991, One Hot Minute 1995, Californication in 1999, By the Way in 2002, Stadium Arcadium in 2006, I'm With You in 2011, and then the most recent, The Getaway in 2016. So, as I said, we'll start in chronological order with the Red Hat Chili Peppers, um, self-titled 1984. Real quick, in my opinion, uh, their debut, the self-titled, was the only one that really had a different spirit with the remaster, uh, where they really wanted to go with more of that uh, hard punk, uh, rap rock, just raw energy oh, mentality. Yeah. Um, yeah, my main note for this album is hello, rapping funk. Yes. <laughs> it's like all over this album. Uh, if uh, any any of our new metal brethren out there, uh, I, I can't say I'm 100% there with you, but uh, I, I would say Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park, uh, a lot of those, I think this is the origins of that genre. <laughs> maybe not definitely not the lyrical content no, but yeah the sound for sure it's mm-hmm. kind of there um and yeah this is a lot harder funk uh which give me funk any day of the week um mm-hmm. so let's uh let's dive in here to the red hot yeah, Chili yeah. Peppers, 1984 yeah yeah, I will say, like, I've I've generally never been a fan of this era. Like, I I bought the CDs because I'm very much, like, I'm a completionist collector type. Like, if I like a band enough, like, I'm going to get everything from the I'll get every album if I if I like it enough. So I remember buying it at, I don't even know. Oh, yeah. To have that thing. That was a big store. That was a cool mm-hmm. store. Um, yeah, I forgot where I picked it up, but there was a point where I was like, well, I'm missing these three albums. So I picked up the first three just to have it but i yeah i've generally never cared for like this era for the most part the first couple albums um, i and uh once we get into the rankings it'll it, it's this was so much tougher these first three albums to try and place them in in the hierarchy was super difficult um, and I think a lot of that is probably production, master value, intention, uh, band members forward. But I'm I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of funk, so I've uh, I've I've got their records pretty much split up into three different eras, uh, based on mm-hmm. kind of uh, just the the sound they went with. Uh, a lot of that was. Uh, who the guitarist was, who the producer was, uh, how, how front forward Anthony Kiedis was with the band. Um, I think kind of separated what I've got mainly. Uh, I'll say Mm -hmm. the first, their first three albums, um, I've kind of got in this early out, this early era, uh, where funk forward, um, Definitely some of the rap rock and and metal influence, 
Uh, and even their fourth album, Mother's Milk. Uh, that's the only one I couldn't place because that's a big, I, I felt that was a big transition from these first three into um, probably their initialization into the mainstream uh, where you'll get a mm-hmm. lot of uh, more of the, uh, the casual fans, which uh, I've never, there's casual fans are uh, a great chunk of most fans. And I would say that's probably where I am with the majority of the music. Um, mm-hmm. But that's probably where most of the, the casual fans will first come into their albums. Um, yeah, for but, sure. So definitely it will, it will be harsher for the casual fans to come out or go back and listen to these first three for sure. I mean, maybe it'll surprise yeah. them. I don't know. Like I, I think when I first listened to it, I think I expected something close, not closer to the sound I was familiar with when I got into the, uh, the chili peppers, mm-hmm. but I was definitely thrown for a loop when they started, when I started listening to them, like, <laughs> Whoa, is not what I expected at all. And, uh, and they've, the threads of these first few albums are interwoven throughout everything they do. Uh, some later albums come back to this a little heavier than others. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm so glad they started here. Uh, mm-hmm. just, it, it was in, I don't know. They combined enough elements. Uh, you know, they're probably not yet in the punk scene um, with these early yeah. albums, but I think it was a good pre- precursor for them getting there. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it's it's uh, under underground, hundred um, percent. And oh yeah, that was the toughest part of of these rankings is it it was all balanced off of what my choices uh, and my preferences to were to listen to not necessarily their influence uh, or, you know, the, the, the musicality of it, the music theory, how they handled that. Um, But this, this first album, although uh, it may not reflect in the rankings was super important to their development, I think. Sure, sure. So I guess I have nothing else really to say for that. I guess I will say, in terms of like the lyrical content, it's all kind of fine with the rapping and stuff, but there's there was one standout song that I was like, this is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any guesses of what I had as my worst song on this Ooh, album? Uh, so this was probably actually the one I went back and listened to the least trying to same i give it one listen i'm like yeah i know where i'm putting this one (laughs) i gave it a couple so um i don't know this is this is just a shot out of the dark because i couldn't tell you exactly what it was i'm gonna go with green heaven no i was okay with that one actually it's mommy's mommy where's daddy That one is just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like lyrically weird and having like just the girls' vocals is just uh, really off-putting to me. I guess uh, it's a different time now in 2021 right. versus 1984. So, um, I don't know. Least, but that weird, uh, 
dissonance of like mommy where's daddy is kind of the perfect one it's like so jarring compared exactly. to the rest and that's of the, yeah, compared to the rest why of the stuff. I liked it. <laughs> All right, yeah, you creep. It's, it's just that weird uh counterculture uh just try and shake things up. Um Yeah. Uh, so where do you I guess but, where you, where do you have them then? Where are they at? Out of eleven. First so, ranking. Uh, rankings quick. I've got this album at ten out of eleven. All right. I got them at eleven out of eleven on this one. So we're pretty close there. I mean kinda you you definitely seem to enjoy the I mean, you have your affinity for funk more, so you you I think got a little more enjoyment out of it. That's true. Than I than I did on this one. Uh, and the, even there was it doesn't get referenced, nothing I read uh talked jazz, but I got a little bit of like the the jazzy improvisation out of this one too. Interesting. Uh which Interesting. I kind of enjoyed. Um, okay. So I will before uh, before we move on, uh, we didn't talk about him a lot, so I want to I want to go in here. Uh, Jack Sherman, he was not uh, inducted as part of the Hall of Fame. Yes, but he was not happy yeah, about it either. He was uh, the l- lead guitarist on this first album. This is his only album that he shows up. Um, mm-hmm. But he also did pass away this year. At oh, 64 right. years old on in August 22nd. Yeah. Um, so this was his only influence. Uh, he does show up on the next album as uh, as credit only. So there were a couple of songs that they that brought over um, before they brought Slovak back. Um, yep. I don't I don't disagree with him not being part of the Hall of Fame induction, especially. Well, yeah, there- the, the reasoning album. was like they only took people that recorded on multiple albums. I think that's what that was their cover story yeah. for. It, at least I don't know if they just didn't like Jack Sherman or something. Uh, but, he does deserve um, uh, his own mention here, uh, though. I feel mm-hmm. and uh, he did help kickstart uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So just mm-hmm. throwing that in before we move on to album number Rest two. Rest in power, Jack Sherman. Yeah, album number two, Freaky Styley, nineteen eighty five. Um, still more rapping, still more vocally, like vocally Kiedis is not great early on. And I think that's one of the big knocks on the band and it's something he's worked yes. on later on and stuff. Um, but yeah, early on, it's mm-hmm. an easy to knock his vocals, but I, in listening to this one, I thought there was a little bit of a quicker funk sound to it. I don't know. Yeah. So my, uh, my notes were, uh, they refined that funk sound, uh, which, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Uh, and a lot of that is, yeah, especially his first few albums, Kiedis, Kiedis's vocals were driven by, by speed over anything else, I think. Um, yeah. I think that was him trying to cover for what he thought was some of his deficiencies, um, where, where he just went for speed, drugs, and sex, uh, were, were a lot of this. Yep. Um, and this is where, uh, going back, we talked in the influences a little bit, uh, but they got George Clinton to produce this album. Um, yep. So George Clinton, George Clinton and the Parliament Funkadelic, uh, that's kind of where uh, P-Funk comes. Uh, they were known as P-Funk for a while, uh, but that's that's part of where uh, 
I decided to take on the nickname uh, just because you, you can't go wrong with a little bit of P-Funk in your life. Um, sure. But the the Detroit scene, uh, so they actually moved to Detroit uh, and lived with George Clinton for a couple weeks uh, just to get to know each other, uh, pick up a vibe mm-hmm. before they started recording this. Um, yep. Well, Keith is actually from Michigan, too. That's so true. He's kind of in his home court, yeah. Uh, but he also, uh, this was the first big period of heroin withdrawal. Uh, Keith had to get clean for a couple weeks uh, before they could even start conceptualizing this album. Uh, moved to, this was the first time uh, he really moved to cocaine. Um, and that that's going to pretty much dominate a lot of the Chili Peppers lyrics from here on out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, his, his mom uh, lived in Grand Rapids. Uh, so I think that kind of, kind of helped him here. Um, but yeah, the, this was heavily, heavily driven by that Detroit uh, funk rock sound, which I was a big fan of. Yeah. I will say it was definitely an improvement over the first album, obviously the first one I ranked 11, but I still, again, like this era, I feel like the songs were a little better and I enjoyed them more. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it, I guess when I get to my ranking, I'll, I'll maybe touch on it a little more, but I feel like there was definitely, for me, there was definitely a gap between this album and the previous album for sure. They definitely got a tighter sound. Yes. Um, they've kind of figured it out more, I think. So that, Um, and, uh, from from my reading, uh, one of the big things I keyed on keyed in on uh, was Kiedis kind of going back, and Slovak has now replaced Sherman. They brought him back, mm-hmm. uh, and he felt that he uh, definitely improved uh, and kind of changed his uh, guitar sound and evolved through that. So I would say this is probably uh, I think this is Flea's album. Uh, I mean, mm. he's, his work is intertwined through everything. Uh, right. but the, the baseline through this, uh, just about every song is, is oh, yeah. what I, uh, fell in love with. That's that, mm-hmm. that's the first thing you see. Um, and I think the, the punk rock influence, uh, came a little bit more into play. Um, you know, that late eighties underground sound along with the funk, uh, that George Clinton helped bring out with all of them. Yeah. The song, uh, black eyed blonde on this album, um, was performed by the band for the 1985 skateboarding movie thrashes, which, uh, starred Josh Brolin. (laughs) I did also have that one. Thanos. Uh, Thanos wasn't wrong. Everybody, uh, just to throw that out there. Uh, (laughs) listeners. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but yeah there there are a couple interesting concepts here um so the first one jungle man uh, i mean that the intro track as probably my favorite off this album but Kitas wrote that uh it was basically some Kiedis fanfic on Flea. Uh, it was based on Flea being a half man, half beast, uh, born in a volcano 
in Australia who could conduct thunder <laughs> through his bass guitar. Uh, Shout out to the uh, Wild Thornberries where Flea was a voice for yes. Donnie. Um, and <laughs> and I feel that in my soul. Uh, like, I, I, I would want to be Flea in, in that persona. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I think it comes through in that song. Um, that's probably... It's probably the the funkiest of of these first few albums uh, mm-hmm. that that I would go back and listen to on repeat. Yeah, I definitely there's there's a few on this album that I go mm-hmm. back to. Um, Jungle Man, Hollywood Africa, I go back to. Um, Black Eyed Blonde, um, definitely another highlight for me on this album. Yertle the Turtle, yes. Dr. Seuss book turned into a song, which also features George Clinton's drug yes, dealer. I was hoping you were going to bring that up. Uh, so, so yeah, if, if you listen to that song, I'll try, I'll maybe I'll intersplice into the pod here, but there's a part in the song where you hear someone go, wow, look at that turtle go, bro. That is George Clinton's drug dealer because he couldn't pay the debts. So he offered the dude a part in the song to cover the debts, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> the yeah the the spoken word in that is great and it, it's it's so off-putting from the rest of the song that stands out like mm-hmm. i would i would take that as payment for for a debt hands down if if you yeah i don't know how much there. it never says how much he owed so i'm curious like how much it's like all right well you get some residuals from the album because you're on it mm-hmm. so you'll get like 10 cents per album sale maybe i don't know I'd say i i don't or whatever it was in 1985 i don't think you got a <laughs> a writer credit for that, which is pretty much what royalties pay out is. No, so, that's your writer credit is Dr. Seuss yeah, on this one. So um, I'm, I'm sure he, he just got something up front and it may have just been like, I would have just been cool. Like, don't give me any credit or whatever. Just let me tell that story down the road. It's like, mm-hmm. not only did I sell drugs to the eponymous George Clinton, I am, uh, I'm on this red hot chili peppers album. Yeah. Um, this did also uh, just touch on this briefly. Uh, so Hollywood was actually a rewrite by Anthony Kiedis of the song Africa by the meters, um, mm-hmm. which uh, that was, uh, I, I forget who, uh, who kind of keyed him into that, but uh, the meters was a big influence for, I, I believe it was flea at the time. Uh, he was listening to them a lot, uh, so they they wanted to do a cover a, a cover of Africa, and uh, they talked Kiedis into rewriting it to their own experiences uh, as Hollywood as their Africa, and that kind of sparked mm-hmm. a lot of. Uh, they've got a lot of covers that will come into play in the next few albums. Um, that was yeah. that was the start of it, um, but. Uh, Without uh, much further ado, then, should we get into yeah. the rankings on this? Ranking, ranking, ranking. Uh, I'm going to pass I... this one to you first. Go ahead. You... Since I went first. Okay. Um, so for this one, they are my number 10. So I know when I said there's a gap, I didn't want to try and give away too much. But I feel like it's like if you're going to write it out, it'd be like 11 is the self-titled. Then it'd be like a large space on the paper and then 10 for me. Okay. So there's definitely an improvement. Uh, mm-hmm. On this one, 
Um, yeah, and, and this was the, the first one that I had in placing with everything else that was one of the toughest for me. Um, but the just the, the funk sound that they came through with this uh, after the first album and kind of it being uh, the forward influence for this one compared to anything else. Uh, although they kind of keep mm-hmm. that thread going, uh, this was the epitome of of their funk rock. Uh, so I mm-hmm. have this one all the way up at five. Interesting. Okay. All right. I like it. All right. Moving on to the next album, 1987's The Uplift Mofo Party Plan. Uh, this is the only one that has the original founding members all credited and record, or I guess it's just them as the credits on this one. It's not a mix of people and anything like that. Um, uh, so I, w- I will say uh, Martinez does have one written credit here that was a holdover for the last one. But they're, uh, okay. yeah, as far as recording the entire album, uh, this is the only one with the original lineup. Yes. First and last, unfortunately, but, or fortunately, I guess. I mean, I think we'll, we'll touch on that later with um, the next album. Yeah. I mean, for this one, I think there's, again, I think they're kind of progressing. They're making improvements on this one. Like the funk is still there. The rapping is still there, but I feel like it's, it was done better. I feel like there's a lot more songs that I like I would, I could sit down and enjoy on this one compared to the first two. Uh, so this was actually a slight regression for me. Um, and I think a lot of that is, uh, so we had George Clinton produce the last one. So this was, uh, mm-hmm. Michael Beinhorn who was brought in by EMI, uh, to be the new producer for this one. Uh, I think he had some undue influence in, in what happened mm. with this album. Okay. Um, but they, uh, it was, so this is actually their first album to chart on the billboard 200 though. Oh, I didn't even catch really? that. Where did they, end up uh, yeah. So on it? at 148, uh, is their top rank on billboard and is their mm-hmm. first album to reach gold. Um, well, I, I take that back. It's their earliest album to reach gold. Uh, their follow-up, uh, which we'll get to Mother's Milk in 89, mm-hmm. actually reached gold before Uplift Mofo Party. Uh, but this did end up being their earliest album uh, to reach gold certification. Interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't catch that. I guess a lot of people may be going back and buying stuff because that still counts, I, I guess, right? Towards uh, Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's lifetime sales they keep track right, of. Right, right. Um, yep. So uh, the the interesting thing here, uh, bef- between Freaky Styley and Uplift Mofo Party Plan, Kiedis was actually briefly uh, fired from the band uh, because he was having a hard time in participating, writing the lyrics for this uh, because he had gotten mm. into probably the heaviest heroin dose, uh, heroin usage of his time here. Um so he, yeah. he briefly moved back to Grand Rapids with his mom, who put him into a Salvation Army uh, rehabilitation. Um, and he was able to quit Cold Turkey after L.A. Weekly named them the band of the year uh, in 86 after Freakly Styley. 
So he came back, uh, and the first song he wrote was the intro song to this album, Fight Like a Brave, um, hmm. which is uh, probably easily my top track of this album. It's Yeah, it's up there for me. It's definitely top three. Uh, I'm definitely a little partial to Behind the Sun. I kind of came okay. around to that one later. Fight Like a Brave was like my initial... Like, yeah, this one's the mm-hmm. better one. But then I think, yeah, I definitely came around and behind the sun. And uh, Behind the Sun actually uh, charted several years later. Um, I think it was in 92. Uh, they released their first... Um, hits album what hits mm. and behind the sun mm-hmm. was released as a single and recorded a uh, music video off of that and kind of picked up steam um i'll say my least favorite though um is actually their cover of bob dylan's subterranean homesick blues yeah you kind of got a soft spot uh, for dylan, y- I think, yeah right? so. that's uh that's pretty much what it is it, just they don't add anything to the original yeah mine was definitely um <clears throat> excuse me the uh the special secret song inside that they had mm-hmm. to rename <laughs> i think it just the overly charged sexual nature of the lyrics early on is kind of just like all right like i get it they're young guys or whatever and that's kind of like that was like their thing or whatever yeah. i don't know how they why they stuck around there but um yeah that was just a little much i was like uh, I don't yeah know. that that definitely was a jarred one. I, I would put that uh, second to last under, under their yeah. Dylan cover. But I guess, I mean, we can make this an explicit podcast and we can say what it is. So originally, I guess, they originally had it called Party on Your Pussy. And EMI refused to release it unless they changed the name. So that's why it's called... I mean, it's, when you listen to the song, it's very evident what the name of the song is called. Yeah. <laughs> if you just read Special Secret Song Inside, <laughs> those words are not mentioned, I think, at all. So, uh, yeah. It's a little much. I, EMI made the right call there, I think. So, I, it, it fits the era. It doesn't fit the rest mm-hmm. of the album, I will say. Um, yeah. But there's... Uh, I mean, that influence... You can pick out Kiedis is probably always been a little uh sexually charged or or perverted yeah. uh, throughout all this yeah. um yeah which through re, you go back through his biography uh and it makes sense he didn't have the uh most normal of childhoods um mm-hmm. but he uh I, I like the way he he overcome it as we overcame it as we uh progress yeah. through all this i mean those themes are still there drugs sex are gonna be the heart and soul yeah. of there's Chili definitely Peppers, a more like mature a mature a mature look at yeah. it i guess um later on get more introspective and looking at how how it's affected things uh or and others and myself how to get better more than just I'm going to get, I'm going to get mine. Oh yeah. Um, what else? I had, uh, I had some other stuff here. Let's see what I wanted to, well, I guess this was the one when they were on tour. Um, 
I guess after the tour, Hilal Slovak was so addicted to, mm-hmm. uh, I forgot, what was he, was it heroin? Yep, yeah, heroin. So he, he essentially isolated himself from the band to try and um, resist the drug, essentially, because him and Kiedis were kind of both shooting up mm-hmm. together. And so when they when they were going to return to the tour, um, they ended up finding him dead in June of 1988. Yep. So that kind of really shook the band. I think Kiedis didn't even attend the funeral he like fled LA or yep. something like that. Um, so. It also that it's also the reason that Irons uh, quit the band is he? Uh, yeah, he couldn't really. He didn't want to be a band in a band where his friends were dying. Um, yeah, which is because next to Keith Richards, Anthony Kiedis is is probably number two in my mind for most prolific drug users that somehow, somehow are still, still alive. alive. <laughs> um, and yeah. And used, I mean, came clean throughout their careers, but went back through it. And mm-hmm. it's like, Relapse, yeah, how did you? Yeah. And he uh, he was the one keeping Slovak in check, I think, even though they were both using kind of lean on each yeah. other. Um, and yeah, as soon as they went through that, it was kind of game over. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so yeah, kind of a sad uh, ending to this era for the band mm-hmm. a little bit. Um because uh, it was also even towards the end of the tour, um, before they finished, Slovak dropped out, uh, and this was prior to he died. But Dwayne uh, Blackbird McKnight, who uh, goes back to a relationship with George Clinton, he was in Parliament, had to finish out the tour uh, on guitar mm-hmm. for them. Um, yep, and is the precursor into how Fruciani comes into a major influence mm. in this band. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have anything else, anything else for this album? I don't really have much. No, else. that's, uh, that's about all right. All right. Ranking time, ranking time. Where do you have it? Your turn to go first. This time. So this one, uh, I've got back down at, uh, eight. I, I went back and forth. Okay. The, the album I have at nine, um, between that and uplift, I went back and forth. I I did go ahead and give Uplift a little bit of a of a tick up. Uh, it was their first critically acclaimed. Uh, it definitely felt like a uh, a backtrack from Freaky Styley for me. Uh, but okay. I, yeah, I've got them at eight overall. Okay. Um. So yeah, for me, like I kind of met touched on earlier that I thought this was a progression for them. And maybe since this is the first one with the original, you know, founding members, this might have been like what their sound could have been starting. Mm -hmm. So it would have been interesting to see if they actually recorded the first two albums together, how how it would have been different, maybe. Um, But for me, I have this one at number six. I think there is a good jump for them on this one. Yeah. uh, You know, they've definitely progressed. And I think they I kind of went back and forth on this one, too, like. When I, I used to like rank this these albums all the time by the Chili Peppers, and like I think I originally had this one down at like nine, you know, like towards the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of grown on me. I feel like I enjoy more of the songs on this. I like the sound a little more. Like the funk is kind of fading a little bit for me, so it's getting more to the sound I enjoy by the Chili yeah. Peppers. So that's why I kind of bump it up a little bit to six. Okay, I respect that. Yeah. Okay. Next album, Mother's Milk, 1989. This is the very first album with the, I guess you call it the modern four of the group. 
Chad Smith and John Frusciante both are brought into the band. I think Chad was, or John, I think was brought in first. He was kind of like a, he was kind of a big super fan. Um, and he kind of knew all the parts, oh, the guitar uh, parts. Of the he songs. was, uh, yeah, he was 18 at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came into this and I guess I, I didn't look up at this point, how old Kiedis and Flea were. I don't think they were probably early twenties. Um, but yeah, at, at eighteen, yeah, that's my assumption. to come in and uh, and have the influence that he does. Uh, but yeah, he was first uh, during touring of Uplift. Uh, he kind of came into their sights and became a super fan and was there for a lot. And he came in, and I, I want to say it was a week before Chad Smith uh, was brought in as the drummer after uh some open auditions yeah i think the one story i recall reading about chad smith is i think he came into the audition and he did well but he had like this long hair at the time mm-hmm. and so they basically i think they knew they wanted him in the band but they, they kind of tested him so they're like hey you could be in the band but you gotta cut your hair or something right. like that mm-hmm. and so he showed up the next day for another tryout and he just like put a backwards hat yep. on and they're like, all right, this guy can stay. Because, um, yeah, I was gonna say, he, uh, he ended up being the final audition, and that was when he came back. Uh, but I was, he's basically just like this 6'3 uh, power drummer, which, which they hadn't had yet, and, and won him all over after the second audition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, also, Will Ferrell lookalike, if I'm sure people will have seen the video of him and Will Ferrell playing drums on Jimmy Fallon. There was also, uh, so we talked about Dwayne McKnight, uh, DH Pelligro also finished, uh, the tour for uplift mofo party on drums, uh, and took over Mm -hmm. for Jack irons. And he's uh, not a P funk guy, right? No, he, he was, he was, he was punk. Yeah. He was, was. uh, he had some, uh, underground punk cred at the time. Uh, but yeah, he took over there and he, he only played for them for like the last, I think three shows. Uh, and he was dropped before they came before they started recording for anything for mother's milk, but he does Mm -hmm. have a writing credit on one of one song for mother's milk. Uh, so his influence isn't huge. Um, but it's another one. I mean, talk about everything got hit everybody that uh kind of contributed when you have a 30 plus year long 11 album career oh yeah um and uh so what i have notes here we talked about yeah uh so uplift was the first to get critical acclaim we talked about they were 148 uh Mm -hmm. mother's milk made a huge jump and peaked at 52 on the billboard charts uh, 52 yeah, they kind of blew up on this one. Uh, yeah. And they actually reached gold before Uplift did. Uh, so they were they were mm-hmm. t- they were their first technically Uplift's their first album to reach gold. Uh, but Mother's Milk was the first uh, in anything that matters to reach gold, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. That all makes sense. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I enjoy this album. Um, I, I think there's a, I don't know, it's a huge jump in maturity, but I think the the sound is for sure mature. The lyrics are still kind of persistent in an immature level in a sense yes. for, you know, 
a handful of songs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of covers on this album too. Yeah. Uh, Stevie Stevie Wonder cover. Shout out to that. That is a pretty solid cover. I think. Higher ground. That's uh, so. There's so there's so many songs and singles in their uh, discography. It's hard to choose, but you will be hard pressed to find a better cover song of any major band than Higher Ground. It just fits so well with their persona. Yeah, and I just listened to that Stevie Wonder record recently, and like just hearing being like i'm more familiar with the chili peppers version just the speed of it compared to the stevie wonder is it's definitely a big you know uptick in the speed and i feel like it helps it almost in a way there's nothing wrong with the stevie wonder version at all but i just i don't know i'm a little partial to the chili peppers one personally i just think that speed and that little extra layer uh just kind of helps and yeah it's it's pretty much the antithesis to subterranean homesick blues their dylan cover from the last Mm -hmm. album this one this they they took that and elevated it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, There's also uh, Jimi Hendrix covering this one. They cover Fire. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I'm not overly familiar with Hendrix, so I don't know um, too much in terms of how it compared. But I will say in the remastered thing they have bonus tracks and there's also a couple of live because they did live covers um they did a castles made of sand live cover and mm-hmm. also crosstown traffic both hendrix covers yes. so they're definitely big into hendrix realm uh during this so time. i i loved both of those tracks but i specifically uh cut them out of my mind for for this because yeah. they right. they should yeah there were a lot of uh there they've put out so many b-sides and uh, remaster editions stuff that yeah. uh, probably would there's probably a couple albums on the rankings that it may sway my view up or down one um, so, so I left those out but yeah uh, um, kind of my one fun factoid about this I so that when I started getting into the band later in like middle school and stuff you know going back to listen to some of these albums mm-hmm. this they have a song an instrumental song on here called Pretty Little yes. Diddy and so if anyone, you know, went through middle school in the early 2000s, you might be familiar with Crazy Town's Butterfly mm-hmm. and the whole like hooks. Is it the hook or the intro sound of Butterfly or a I, pretty little ditty? Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, well, a of butterfly, butterfly. It's the it's the hook. Basically the guitar sound. Yeah, yeah it's the hook. I'll, I'll, I'll try and drop it. So that sound is basically a sample of Pretty Little Diddy. And like when I first made that connection, I think I first spun Mother's Milk and I got to that song. I'm like, wait a second. This is the Crazy Town song. I'm confused. It's not a big. And like I oh, actually. Sorry, go ahead. Well, as I say, no, I went back to look at like the uh, Crazy Town credits and they actually did credit the Chili Peppers. Song. Oh, yeah. Okay, they cool, they would have cool, got cool. sued out of their shoes if they did. Oh, yeah, for oh, sure. It's It's only like 10 seconds of Pretty Little Diddy, though. It doesn't repeat. Yes. Repeat. It's just a one-off kind of guitar riff 
for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it works it though. It works. And then I will say the next the next track after that punk rock classic, they do the um, Guns N' Roses outro mm-hmm. to it. I don't know if I you did. that up. So yeah, like it. I uh, that's one. So at the same time, like oh crap, did they, did Guns N' Roses steal from them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I looked no, like oh yeah, no, they Guns released Roses before. Was, so uh, now energy was probably there for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, the funk's there for Freaky Styley. They find it and kind of you know packaged it to appeal to more people for uplift. Uh, mm-hmm. But Mother's Milk uh, with Frusciani, even being eighteen. Uh, he was the first to really bring in like some some music theory and just being able to write some ridiculous rhythms and melodies to Kiedis's words. Um, even though I know he had some uh, friction with Beinhorn, so he had to do some things he didn't want to. Um, but mm. m- Mother's Milk probably gets a bump for me. Just for that, um, being that Frusciani introduction. Um, yeah, same. Like I, I, I'm partial to the Frusciante era for sure. I'll admit that. And going like I always thought well of this record, and I just kind of, I think on the re-listens to talk about it here, I was like, you know, mm-hmm. this is a little better than I remember it being. Yeah, it, it was a. This was probably the toughest one for me to place. Because uh, I, mm. I had some feelings, uh, but I also had to kind of put it in perspective of their entire discography, uh, mm-hmm. what that meant, what what I can recall from those albums, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, Frusciani after this came into his own. This was the. Yeah. The Frusciani era, uh, so that that'll come to play in uh, when we get on these rankings. But looking back on it, uh, Frusciani kind of dominated my Red Hot Chili Peppers experience. Uh, yep. Flea, y- Flea is one of the best. Flea's probably top five bassists ever. Uh, yeah, I think that, that's fair. That I could put in place. There's probably some that are more influential, but that's only because they be- they came before him, so they introduced some things. Uh, but what he mm-hmm. could do, uh, and his later on study of music theory and going back into that, uh, but and and Kiedis is uh, you know one of a kind vocalist and being able to evolve from his initial kind of speed rap, speed metal stuff to uh, being able to harmonize gets a point, but I think, uh, yeah, to me, I think having John in the band too helps yeah. that. Yeah. Cause John's a really, I got, I'll touch on it later too, but the backup vocals when John does, it's mm-hmm. pretty good. It's not quite like Mike Mills of REM, but it's, it's, it's kind of like that yeah. a little bit. Um, it's a very important key. I think on certain, you know, different songs where he does it. Soup definitely under the radar for anything that he does outside of his guitar work. Um, for sure. I will say, I, I think it's my turn to go first this time. If we're going to rank mother's milk all time. Uh, so it was, it was back and forth for me between uh freaky styley, which was 
my uh, funk go-to for the chili peppers Mm -hmm. and mother's milk, which was kind of the transition into the Frusciani era um, and what comes next. So I did give the slight edge to mother's milk uh, and it was pretty much the higher ground uh, plus one that happened with us. So mother's milk gets a four for me. Same. Whoa. First match. Woo. I, I have a feeling yeah. I think we're going to be the same for number one, but we'll, yeah, we'll I think so out. too. <laughs> we'll find mm-hmm. out next. <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> so yeah, I got, I got, yeah, spoilers. I got number four for them as well. I mean, I don't really need to add anything there. Yeah. So I guess we might as well jump to uh, the next one. Probably definitely the most popular album they released to date. This thing has hits mm-hmm. for motherfucking days. Oh, yeah. For a seventeen-song album, which is crazy, but like even while I think it has like seven singles, but even then, like outside the singles, it's um, all yeah. Are great. So it's 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 nineteen uh, 1991's Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll admit right now this is both our oh, number yeah. ones, right? Yeah. Okay, I, I cool. think yeah, it's, it, I would be hard pressed to find. I guess if you have somebody that's super into a specific genre. Maybe you get a funk driven and it'd be one of their early albums. But this has got, this is hands down for me, uh, not even close for any other album. Number one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely their best album. Like the funk is basically gone. I'd say, I mean, it might be there, but I, Mm -hmm. I don't think, I can't remember. I don't think there's anything. Uh, So yeah, I guess maybe someone like the Sir Psycho and the, um, Mm -hmm. Some of those Apache Rose Peacock, I think, too. Yeah, they're the, the baselines there are a little bit in some. Uh I it's definitely more the punk rap rock uh that was embraced in this album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a suck my kiss mm-hmm. and that stuff. Give it away. Oh, yeah. All the all the fast uh, the fast talk. I mean, Under the Bridge is probably their mainstream number one hit. I would think yep. uh, for anyone yep. and I love under the bridge is, I don't know. It may be my number three off of this album though. Breaking the girl is uh, one of my favorite songs. Um, yeah, definitely yeah. underrated. I, I mean, it was one, I believe it was one of the seven, mm-hmm. six or seven singles, but I think it came later on. So everyone kind of only five singles officially released yeah. it was number four, but uh, like give it away uh give it away is the first one that i can uh give it away has a lot of uh beastie boy beastie boys feel to me and beastie boys is one mm. of my favorite bands um so that that was a favorite but yeah i would say breaking the girl uh kind of uh so i i alluded to it earlier when we got to history and we were talking about camping trips and stuff uh, yeah. So, Blood Sugar Sex Magic is, uh, I I didn't own this album because I was uh, 87, so I was four. I was born in 87. So, this is only mm-hmm. the second, technically, so Mofo Party came out in 87, but it was before me. Mother's Milk, right. technically, I was alive for, but not enough to know things. No awareness, yeah. Um, and even this one at four is hit or miss. Uh, but when you look at their next album was four years later, 
uh, this one kind of ruled the airwaves for those four years for me. Oh Um, yeah. So this was my intro. This was my, uh, convinced my dad to purchase this CD. Uh, cause I just loved it and wanted on replay when we're doing God knows what Mm -hmm. camping and a bunch of random shit. Uh, but yeah, breaking the girl. I, I can't pinpoint that. I think it may be there's like the change of tempo and stuff. This is just mm-hmm. this is one I go back to. It's like a little slower. Not slow, slow, but it's got a slowed down yeah. tempo for sure. Um, this, a lot of this album. I'd say at least half this album does. Uh, I think this is the first one for me, too, where uh, Kiedis' vocals kind of became a forefront. And he showed that he yeah. could do more range. Mm-hmm. Um, so under under the bridge was originally a poem for him, hmm. uh, and this this is the first album where the legendary Rick Rubin uh, took yeah, over as producer. First, first with the run, yeah. uh, so he came across under the bridge as, as the poem that Anthony Kiedis had wrote and uh, written. Yeah, I think they're both right. I'm not an English major. I don't know. uh, But came across that. It was like, you need to turn this into a song. Uh, I think this is what turned around. This is what uh, kind of helped evolve Kiedis into uh, more of a singer than just a front man. Mm hmm. And kind of that's definitely started the trend, not maybe not a trend, but mm-hmm. um, more songs, including some introspective yeah. type of stuff. Um, and for me, this was this was the uh, jump into the first era departure uh, that I had written where this this was yeah. their first big stylistic change and uh, how they went about things. Um, definitely. And uh, so that's that's where my first fun fact comes in is they recorded this in Houdini's mansion. Um, so right. they were they were yes. looking for something to spark their creativity. And uh, I don't know exactly how they came about it, but went through that. Uh, and rumor is it was haunted. Uh, so mm-hmm. Chad Smith, uh, they all decided they would live there throughout this album. To record the whole thing. Uh, but Chad Smith ended up not living there. Uh, and initially it was be- it came out because it was haunted and he didn't want to live there. But he said, no, that's not right. Uh, I just wanted to like live with my wife, who I'm married to, which makes sense. Right. Uh, but then Frusciani was like, we'll no, uh, yeah, we agreed it's kind of haunted, but it's, it's friendly spirits. <laughs> and that's kind of what sparked our creativity. Uh, yeah. And this was the initial, uh, this is kind of what started Frusciani on his initial, I can't be part of something famous. Because uh, the creativity I guess, just flowed through him. Like he was painting, uh, making lyrics, doing all sorts of stuff in the mm-hmm. one one month that they were here. And it was probably the biggest outpouring and change of direction and creativity that the band had, in my opinion. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, and second fun fact, uh, Gus Van Zandt of film fame, uh, like he's he's usually in top director lists, was heavily involved in the album's artwork and did a lot of direction uh, for their cover art and the uh, sleeve hmm. artwork for this album. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I mean, it's all their heads with the weird tongue thing sticking out. This is the only one I have on LP, too, or on vinyl. Mm. Um, it's yeah, kind of the so obvious one to have, I think. Um, but. <laughs> and this was... Uh, so, yeah, and this was their departure from EMI, who did their first four albums. Uh, and they originally signed Brothers, with uh, Sony. But oh. an executive from Warner Brothers uh, sent Anthony Kiedis like a crew congratulatory message is like oh yeah that's good job and that swayed them i was like oh well i want to work for somebody who doesn't care who we sign for just about the music and uh Mm -hmm. they switched to warner brothers because emi was dragging their feet from sony but as soon as they switched to warner brothers uh emi agreed to buy out their last album and let them move forward with warner brothers so that got Mm -hmm. them rick rubin that got them the mansion and that got them their uh, easy number one album overall. Oh, yeah. Basically, like, this is their launching pad to superstardom, essentially, where they can. Well, I mean, the later albums kind of helped, too. But this is kind of their launching pad where they could almost essentially coast for the rest of their lives, essentially. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, yeah. we. I mean, I think uh, I, I don't think that's going to be any sort of controversy of who we picked for no, our number one not a controversial and yeah yeah for sure i i will say um for this one i will also give a couple shout outs to the b-sides on this there is a couple good ones in there they did a stooges cover of search and destroy yes. that's really good that came out years um, later, i think it got though. used in like yeah i think it got used in um uh what's the what's the cartoon it Beavis and Butthead or something. Right? Uh, yes, it was featured in. It, it was something more mainstream too, though. I think. Or they, they did love roller coaster cover for that. I think. Yeah, wasn't actually. that? Oh, uh, Wayne's World. Uh, I think was yeah. Wayne's World, Wayne's World was yes. the Blood Sugar Sex Magic B side cover. Yep, and then also the I'm I don't I don't actually know what the correct pronunciation of this is, but Sicamena Inco, Sicamena Cinco. Yes. That that B side's really mm-hmm. good too. Ooh. So I encourage people to go find it. Was that the Wayne's World one then? I think they all were. I was just double checking the notes here, and I think they, um, or no, it does look like yeah, Sick it, was Sick, was it was Sick it was Sick was the Wayne's World mm-hmm. one. On that note, I think we can move on to next album, mm-hmm. 1995's One Hot Minute. So I guess the big news on this one is in between. Well, I guess the end of the touring for Blood Sugar Sex Magic, John Frusciante leaves the band because his whole mentality was, oh, I just want to be the same kind of small, smaller punk band that we were before. Yes. And he couldn't really handle the fame too well. Mm-hmm. I mean, in addition, there was also some drug stuff say, and yeah, like the, that, that kind of wrecked The heroin experimentation um, that started with that, I think, was uh, probably understated but a bigger factor than him wanting to be an underground success more than not being able to handle the superstardom yep um but in this one so to replace him they bring in dave navarro who had just left jane's addiction at this time 
because uh, they broke up. They in broke up in like ninety one. So this is they broke up a few times. They get back true. together and break up. But yeah, this is like early nineties. Yeah, ninety one. Um, they broke up, so they brought in Navarro. Because I think Flea had a connection with um, a couple of the guys in the band. Mm-hmm. Plus, they're big, you know, both the big bands in the L.A. scene. Yeah. So. Um, and I will throw this out there. I know uh, uh, the lead is a big founder of La Palooza. You just... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Peripheral. Uh, but I was never... Jane's Addictions, I've I've come around to them more, uh, but yeah, Navarro, I'd never felt fit in with the band here. No, yeah, he really didn't. I think there's definitely a shift in a in the guitar sound. I, it's not like a full 180 or anything, but I feel like you could definitely pick up vibes of like, oh, this sounds like a, it could be a, a Jane's Addiction song mm-hmm. almost. Um. But I think it, it kind of brings up more. It give it gave Flea a chance to kind of bring back a little bit more of the funk sound and the bass lines, at least on a couple um, songs. So, and uh, this is the first time that Flea actually wrote lyrics uh, for a few of the songs. Um, so, Deep Kick and tran- Transcending are the main ones. Uh, mm-hmm. Transcending. This is the first fun fact of this album is a river phoenix tribute um because river phoenix uh may or may not know uh, joaquin phoenix's older brother uh he was in stand by me a lot of those like early 90s uh standards uh and he died Mm -hmm. uh super early he was kind of like one of the first mainstream um pop culture icons to overdose because uh, their whole family was kind of weird, culty type of vibes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, too, I think allegedly Frushanti was with him. I flee, I mean, where, where he died at the club or something. Like, Flea was in the club. I think Frushanti was with him, but he fled mm-hmm. or something. It's kind of unclear. Yeah, it was It was the but, alleyway outside of that. Yeah, it hasn't really been talked about. Like, I don't think Frushanti's really talked about yeah. it. Um, but there's also, so yeah, River Phoenix is one tribute. There's also a, uh, Cobain tribute on this album. Tearjerker is, uh, a shout mm. out to Kirk, Kurt, sorry. Um, yeah, I didn't know that one. That's a new fact mm-hmm. for me. I think doesn't Flea sing on P? Yes. Yeah. I've got that Thank here. You. Yeah. That's the, uh, pretty much the only song that flea is lead vocals on. Um, and I think, uh, P and aeroplane are the only songs that they will still play live, uh, from this album, just because they don't have a huge connection to the rest of the vibe from it. Same. I think maybe my friends too. I feel like that gets a lot of radio play still sometimes or used Mm -hmm. to maybe not so much anymore. So warped airplane and my friends were the singles off of this. Mm-hmm. Um, airplane is probably the only one I would connect with and recognize right away. I'm yeah, same. Them. It's definitely my favorite yeah. of the album, I think, for sure. Um, but this was where, after five years sober, uh, Ketis got back into heroin and cocaine right before this. Um, and that was because he had uh, a dental procedure that required Valium 
as a pain reliever, and that ended up sparking him back into this yeah, downhill. Uh, yeah. And then Navarro, uh, it kind of went hand in hand with Navarro and the breakup before the next album. Um, but it was also when Kiedis injured himself multiple times on the tour for this album. But wholesome, wholesome se- sideway, uh, Flea is like you wouldn't expect it from the band, like Fleet, but uh, he's been he's all about his wife and daughter from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his daughter and his daughter's entire kindergarten class are the uh, orchestral backing vocals on Aeroplane. Yep, yeah, that was a pretty cool thing that they did for that. Um, I guess the the only before getting into the ratings on this one, the only thing I have mm-hmm. is uh, Navarro and Kiedis. Uh It was it it wasn't by far the first featured same sex kiss in mainstream media, uh, but they were featured kissing in the Warped music video, uh, which is pretty much mm-hmm. just a. I want to say, I think this might have been one of the ones that Flea's brother-in-law recorded. He did a few different um, shots for the band, but they were trying to break up the monotony and kissed. The studio wanted to uh, totally get rid of it. The band voted go to head, go ahead, uh, and they got a lot of backlash from that, especially, ironically, from the younger crowd. Uh, but props to the band and all they stand for is they're pretty much just like, well, if you can't get with us, we don't need you. Fuck off. This is just what we're doing. Yeah. Props. Um, so I'll go ahead. Uh, this is okay. my ranking on them. They are my number 11. Uh, yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. I think it's basically it's I a... wasn't a big fan of the Navarro, the Navarro era. Uh, but I mm-hmm. also felt that they had nothing to add to Blood Sugar Sex Magic. It was basically like a all all B sides kind of feel to that. Um, mm-hmm. And as far as one album to the next, they just they didn't do anything for me. Like there's a couple songs like we talked about Airplane and My Friends. Like no, nothing out of their discography is anything that I hated. Uh, but if I had to pick right, the it's just worst, kind of there. this was the forgettable one for me. Yeah, it's definitely a forgettable album. Um, I still like it a little more than the early funky stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like kind of like you touched on, it's just kind of it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Um, I just the sound is closer to the to the vibe I like more. So that's it. Kind of just it's just but it falls in at nine for me. Okay, yeah, um, it's not too far. Bottom off. tier. No, yeah, bottom tier for me um, for this one. Um, okay, our next album is 1999's Californication. This one is exciting. Uh, John Frusciante's back, baby. Woo! Lo- I'm here for it. I love it. Um, I mean, basically between uh, One Hot Minute and Californication, the band thought they were going to break up. Mm-hmm. And Flea's ba- Flea was the one who reached out he's like the only way we're staying together is if i get john back in the band because they had such a huge connection musically um that it was just that important to him to have him back mm-hmm. and john had already he he was starting to kind of beat the demons in his life with the drug addiction 
Um, and so I think it was kind of a godsend to him to get back with the band and play music with them again. Yeah. And Flea actually, uh, met Frusciani at his rehab facility towards the end of his stay there to see if he's ready to go. Yeah. And we're glad that happened because this is a pretty solid ass album. Um, this is another one I know it's, it, it's just, again, more hits for days. I think like there's the obvious, like, you know, two or three that you probably hear on the radio all the time, but there's just so many just deep cuts, I guess on this, on oh, this yeah. album that are super enjoyable. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I don't have a lot surrounding this album to say other than, uh, what, what we've already touched on is Frusciani's back, uh, n- number yep. three, in the billboard chart. So this is their, uh, one over one hot minute, one hot minute. Uh, even though I rated it really low, actually hit four on the billboard chart and was their top mm-hmm. album coming into California, Californication. Uh, yeah, that's definitely the, the riding the wave of the success of blood sugar, sex magic for oh, sure. Yeah. Everyone got probably pretty excited. Um, number three on billboard, uh, went seven times platinum. I mean, everybody knows Scar Tissue, Californication, Around the World, Other Side. Um, yep. I, other than it being great, I, it, it's it's the weird, like, one of the top albums for me that I don't have a whole lot else to speak on. Yeah, it's just solid almost through and through. I'd say a slight low light for me, like Porcelain, when they kind of slow it down a little bit, I'm just like, uh, mm. all right. Cause you have all like these high energy songs in there and it's just kind of, you bring it down a little bit for me personally, at least like, I, I guess I get it to an extent, but uh, I just would have preferred to high either cut it or put something else high energy in there. I don't know. Um, I actually like porcelain. Uh, I, I agree with you there. It's, it's hard putting, I guess if you listen to the album straight through kind of putting it right in the middle where you take yeah. things down um, mm-hmm. on a standalone I enjoy it, but sure. And I will say this is definitely an album too, where um, there's more like John for John, John's uh, backing vocals almost kind of yeah are more prevalent, I guess in this in this album, um, which just adds kind of a a bit of depth and dimension to the songs. <laughs> and yeah, outside of uh, so obviously yeah he, he did Mother's Milk, uh, but Blood Sugar Sex Magic is kind of peak for Shanti for me. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, it wasn't there for one hot minute. Came back for this. Uh, Yeah, and I think this is where he kind of started coming into his own um, and was was more comfortable with uh, fame um, after after uh, leaving after 91 because they outpaced their underground rep and just couldn't didn't know what to do with that um so now he's Mm -hmm. clean able to come back from that Um, so yeah that that was big for me yeah and yeah kind of i don't yeah it's just a really good album go listen to it if you haven't it's it's Mm. solid worth Um, it so Um, where where do you place it i say it's just yeah uh this is my number three okay I I enjoy it, um, but the the next album we'll get to is kind of a big one for me. So, all right, 
Yeah, this is my number three. This is uh, so I I know where you're coming with from that on the next album, and this was that was probably my hardest one to one. So I I went with this one number two. Okay, yeah, they're kind of the interchangeable too, mm. I think. Um, so yeah, as as we're kind of alluding here, the next album is 2002's By the Way. And this one, I kind of, I mean, it's not, I'm not dubbing it this. I think it's very widely accepted and admitted to, like, this is the John Frusciante album, basically. Oh, yes. <laughs> he is all over this album with yeah. the synth sounds, and he basically controlled everything about this. That's what actually uh, ends up pushing it down my list. Not that I don't like Frusciante. Like, what he does is great. But it was this was like ninety nine percent Frusciani, one percent the rest of everybody else. Members. Yeah, I mean, Flea got pissed off enough where he was actually going to leave the band because his, he thought his you know his input wasn't being heard. That's how much like John was controlling everything. Yeah, um, yeah and it, it was actually like a, a sit down afterwards and credit to John and Flea for like being able to do this uh, was during yeah. after the tour. It was like, this is my last one uh, being able to sit down together and, and talk it out and realize why this wouldn't have worked going forward. Um, but it, it continued their rise up uh, from number four on billboard from one hot minute, which I don't think should have been that high, but uh, no three for <laughs> Californication by the way, up to number two and going yeah. eight times platinum. Uh, so I think this oh, was yeah. their best selling. Th- I think this is their best selling album uh, to date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, this is another, for me, this is another like deep album. Lots of hits. I mean, there's the radio, by the way, big radio hit can't stop the other big radio hit, but I, a lot of the stuff on here is just like really uh, good. Z- Zephyr song. It was a single. Uh, I think that's the underrated single. I like Zephyr's song. Take a piece and pass it on. Fly away on my Zephyr. I feel it more than ever. I, I, my couple, I had a couple underrated that I marked. I, I like uh, Don't Forget Me. Ooh, that one's good. Um, it's an early one, and then Venice yes. Queen at the end. The okay. closing track is that, really good. That's the one. That's one uh, I had marked as well. Yeah, there's definitely there's a good video out there. They they had a live DVD uh, of them playing at Slain Castle. So there's a video out there on YouTube of them playing that song uh, at that Slain Castle show, which is pretty good uh, to watch. I also uh, am a big fan of Cabron. See, I put that as my worst. Like, it's not like a terrible worst. I'm just kind of like, all right, here's like yeah. this little goofy that, song. That's kind of why I liked it. It's it different from everything else and just throwing some. Yeah. Drum. And I guess I did some like lyrics, like a lyrics genius search on some of it. I'm like, all right, because Cabron, I think the translation in Spanish is supposed to be bitch, right? Or something like that. Uh, that's what I remember hearing. I never actually looked it up. Not, not exactly. I don't know how actually true that is. I remember hearing that and I kind of ran with it. But like looking at some of the uh, the lyric content, I guess apparently it's about like gang violence in L.A. Yeah, that's then, what yeah, it's about. Makes sense. Yeah, I never. I'm not South big Central. on picking up on lyrics. Yeah, so that was the whole thing. Like, 
okay, I get it. It's a very topical thing from where they're from. So I understand that mm-hmm. side of it. But just like the music of it is just kind of goofy. It's just like this goofy kind of, uh, I don't know how to describe that, it. Not like a carnival-esque yeah. song, but you know, in that kind of vein. It's kind of like... That's one of the things I like about Red Hot Chili Peppers, though, is you, you get one or two in the album that's just kind of their, like, pure spirit. It's just like, let's have fun with this one track. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess, like, sonically, it's not the greatest song in the world. But it, it's no. just, it's a fun one to to break up the rest of the album. Um yeah. This was the last thing. This uh, and this was heavily Frusciani uh, propelled, uh, where he kind of started experimenting outside of himself. Uh, they used mm-hmm. a lot of uh, the heavy distortion tools for this one, uh, more pedals and things like that. And he yeah. wrote the bass lines for a lot of this. Uh, and that's oh, yeah. why Flea kind of almost quit the band. Yeah, he wasn't too happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess uh, I I don't have anything else to add unless you do. Where are you placing? No, I got one? nothing for this. Yeah, we I think we kind of know where the places are for this. Uh, so for me, this is my number two. I think this was definitely the first album I remember buying from them, and like this is the one that got me into the band. Really. Um, yeah, this is my number two. Wow. Um, yeah. So yeah, like, uh, for some of the reasons I said, um, a lot of this being heavily Frusciani, which I think took away from a lot of the spirit of the rest of the band, although not bad within the lexicon of what they put out. I've got, by the way, six, six. Whoa. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, so, yeah, four, five, six. So we've got two, my four, five, six already. Uh, is Mother's Milk Freaky Styly, by the way. That was probably my hardest uh, subset to place within the rest of their tracks. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. We haven't done my five yet, but my four, five, six, two is kind of hard to pick the ordering of, but we'll get to that soon, I think. Um. So yeah, aforementioned Stadium Arcadium 2006. This is at least currently the last one with John Frusciante on it. Um, This is a long one. It's a big double album, 28 songs. They uh, originally recorded 38 and they were going to do three installments like release one, six months wait, release another, six months wait, release another. I think that was long around the same time. I think System of a Down did something similar to that. With like hypnotize and mesmerize, uh, they like release one six yeah. months later. They release the other yeah, one. On so they were thinking about doing something like that, um, but they eventually parsed it down to a double album. And I guess of the songs that were cut, I uh, nine out of the ten have mm-hmm. been released as B sides so far. I haven't really listened to many of the B sides on this. Uh, no, I, I couldn't pick any of them out. Uh, the ironic thing is they didn't want to do that because they figured by the time they released. The uh, third album of the set, they would have started writing for the next one. But I'm with you yeah. didn't come out until five years later. So I probably would have been okay doing that. 
Maybe, but I mean, at the end of this tour, they decided to take a hiatus and then John That's left. That's true. So yeah, you got uh, that added to the delay, I think, too. Um, Klinghoffer, I think, uh, suggests Klinghoffer was a friend of John, uh, did some of the touring with the band for this. Um, but yeah, yep. he was not a uh, part of the band moving forward that they saw at this time. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, this album too, I think this is the first one I remember like, okay, I'm going to go on release day and go get it. Um, I think I had like a tennis meet or something. It was like one of the last meets of the year. I think we were at West Chicago. I don't know. But like, I remember immediately after, like I got back, we got back, we were on the road. So we got back to the high school and like, I just drove to Best Buy before I went home to go pick up the album. So this is, uh, this is Mars and Jupiter. I think, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, that sounds right. I'm yeah. This is kind of the first one. Uh, I don't know why, because it, it's not a huge jump from 2002, by the way, to Stadium Arcadium. Um, but I had some weird, like, this is, by the way, is my eighth grade year. Stadium Arcadium is my senior high school year. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I did. So, I was just like. That one asshole is like, popular music is dumb between those four years or whatever. <laughs> and I don't know why, because music between that is so great. And going back, yeah. uh, Stadium Arcadium, I was totally ready to put down in like my bottom half of my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's definitely of Kitas, Flea, Frushani, and Smith. I think this is the most balanced album from what all of yes. them contributed. I think a lot of the talk from them on this album is like they were all in a good place. They were all it was just like the it was basically like hashtag good vibes mm-hmm. for them on this album. Like everyone was great, everyone's in a great place. And so I think it showed too. Like it seemed very cohesive. There wasn't like too much of a shift one way or another. Um yeah, they definitely like they were all on the same wavelength, I think, for this one. And that's the uh the transition from by the way, where Flea felt outcast, uh, because Frusciani exactly. was writing right. all the bass parts to the sit down, uh, Duke them out, everybody having a part. Um and ironically, uh back to was it uh was it Mother's Milk, I think was Frusciani's first with uh Beinhorn. Where he was trying to get them to play more, uh, trying to get him to play more uh, guitar forward, layered rhythms and stuff that he didn't want to do. Now that mm-hmm. we're back on uh, Stadium Arcadium, he came back around uh, and started playing that more, um, which he, is, uh, I would take Frusciani's musical vice over Beinhorn way back then even um <laughs> but he knew how to do it better but he uh started doing more of the layered guitar sounds uh on this album as well mm-hmm. and he still pulls in some of the kind of maybe it's the layer guitars but at least there's also like the synthy type sound mm-hmm. too um that pulls it pulls over from the by the way album as well um and it's not it's not front forward um but I kind of mm-hmm. felt like uh, because after their discussion, after by the way, 
uh, Flea's influence with kind of the slap bass and the, the funk bass line uh, came back yeah. a little bit more in these tracks. Uh, For sure. Yeah. There's definitely some tracks. Uh, especially Hump yeah. the Bump. Uh, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> major funk. Major, major funk. Um, I don't really have too much else for this. Do you got anything? Uh, other than tying it back into our intro, this is the five Grammy album uh, that they won Best mm-hmm. Rock for. Yep. But no. One and only. Maybe they'll get some future ones. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But so I guess uh, where do you where do you got this? Uh, so this is uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic One Californication Two and. Relisten on Relisten uh, brought this one up my list. Stadium Arcadium ends up at number three for me. Very interesting. Uh, so for me, the knock on this one is just it is a little long. I kind of get annoyed with when albums could be cut down. It's a I double, feel like there is a way though. to. It is a double, but I feel like they could have they could have made this a single like fifteen song album if they wanted to. I think. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I haven't I haven't sat through and like resequenced stuff myself. There's a way to do it. I don't know. I feel like so for this for me it comes in at five. Okay, that's not too far off. So I feel like it's a little bloated and I feel like the highs are pretty high, but since it's a little bloated, it knocks it down for me would... behind uh Mother's Milk at my four. Okay. That was gonna be so yeah, I've got Stadium at three, Mother's Milk at four. Um mm-hmm. and that that was one of the things i put up against the two but i felt that just the the whole band coming together and and putting a lot in yeah. this album kept it at three for me yeah okay interesting um so as we kind of touched on john leaves the band after this recording or not recording they do a tour um, I think in about '09 he leaves the yep. band. They don't announce anything until a couple months after the fact. Um, but Josh Klinghoffer takes over, which was I, I think at the time I thought it was a pretty natural choice because he did he was like the backing guitarist for the tour of Stadium Arcadium, mm-hmm. and he had a prior um, relationship with John. He actually had a collab album that they released together. Mm-hmm. That's uh, pretty good, uh, worth listening. I feel like John definitely kind of knew what was up at that point too. Uh, and, and specifically picked Klinghoffer to be his predecessor or his successor. Well, I, don't, I don't know if he, I think I re- I can't f- figure out or remember where I read it, but I think he thought the band would have broke up again after he left. So he was a little surprised. They, they continued on with Klinghoffer. Right? Um, so they went on a hiatus. They were on a two year. Hi- right. It was supposed to be a one year hiatus. It ended up being a two year hiatus. Uh, but that saw Flea uh, study at USC, and that was when Chad Smith uh, went to perform with Chickenfoot, with Hagar mm-hmm. um, of self-titled and uh, other fame, uh, Michael Anthony, who was Van Halen bassist, and Joe Satriani, who is just a guitar legend in his own right, um, doing yeah. a to uh two album set chad smith only did studio he didn't tour he didn't end up touring with them um but that mm-hmm. was the in between between john and klinghoffer yeah and uh so yeah they released i'm with you in 2011 uh i kind of remember 
being like decently excited for this album still. I was definitely bummed that Frushanti left, but since I said before, like I was okay with Clean Hop, I'm like, oh, okay, he was a touring guy. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, so I was excited for it. I mean, I think overall my feelings are kind of, it's fine. I think it almost seemed like a settled groove for him in a sense in terms of like, all right, we're kind of like, we're in our forties now and we're doing this. And it's, I don't know. It didn't, there wasn't much, it just kind of seemed like a, a neutral sound. There wasn't kind of anything that stood out, but there wasn't anything that was super um, low light. For so me. that was, that was also my first impression. So it was originally going to be my follow up to last from one hot minute where I kind of thought it was a follow up that didn't add anything. Um, but I yeah. went back and listened to it, uh, and actually likes, I like it more, uh, than their current last album, the getaway, which I didn't have at first. Um, but I felt like flea reinstated his influence on this album. Um, For sure. Yeah. I definitely noticed some like slightly the funk. I just, I noted the funk sound is definitely mm-hmm. back. And I thought there's some tie to maybe some African tones. There's definitely a, a song or two that had that kind of yes. vibe to it. Uh, so one of the influences for this uh, from Flea was, I forget the name of the band, but uh, David uh, Daniel Elburn had uh, put together like a North African influence band. He produced it. Um, and that was one of the big inspirations for Flea on this one. Uh, and mm. coupled with, uh, he took the hiatus to study music theory at USC for these two years and learn piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, so both him and Klinghoffer wrote a lot of this song on piano, which is the first time that's been incorporated in the band. Um, so they mm. didn't play any piano on the album, uh, but writing laid those it out rhythms on the piano. and everything uh i think made yeah. a big difference oh here we go the group is called african express that damon albarn uh organized yes so yeah i think overall it's kind of a whatever album um i do really like monarchy of roses i think that's a solid um it's the opener i think it's the opener it wasn't the yeah it's the, it's opener. the opener but i think yeah, Adventures of Raindance Maggie kind of got the, That's the funk. initial radio play. I think it was the first single, yeah. yeah. Um, Brendan's Death Song is uh, under probably underrated on this. I didn't care too much for Monarchy Roses. I think Brendan's Death Song is like the third or fourth track on the album. Um, mm-hmm. That one's solid. Uh, Adventures of Raindance Maggie brought me back around. Okay. But yeah, I think overall, I'm just kind of so-so on this one. I don't have too much on this one. I don't know. Do you have anything else? No. no. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it, it ended up being middle of the road for me. And I actually swapped this yep. one with The Getaway, which we'll get to next. So I'm with you. Ended up at number seven for me. See, I, I'm going to be the opposite as you. I originally had it at seven, but I put it at eight. I swapped it later. I started coming around the getaway a little mm-hmm. more um, on my re-listens here. So the getaways just ended up feeling too easy for me in the end. Mm-hmm. Like that was okay. the go-to, which we will get to yeah. now. Right now. 
<laughs> so yeah, their latest album from 2016, The Getaway. Um, so this is their last recorded album with Josh Klinghoffer on it. And it also ends their run with Rick Rubin as the producer. Yes. Uh, they wanted to, I guess there was some friction with Rick Rubin and Josh. So they decided to switch it up a bit and they used Danger Mouse for this one. Which I was um, so excited for. And it, it didn't end up panning out for me. Like I like, I understand why they did it and what happened, but mm-hmm. uh, like just not, not enough danger mouse for you uh, on this I get, one. Yeah. Like dark necessities. I got a lot of danger mouse off of, um, but I think that's the only, like go rock, go robot was fun. didn't end up being enough to I, I my original like straight up listen through i'm with you was gonna be my next to last after one one hot minute because it just didn't mm. feel like it added anything but then i went back mm. through uh kind of listened to what klinghoffer added uh what F- flea's reinstatement went with uh and i ended up liking that more um, and I think that's where we differ is I gravitate a little bit more to the funk, uh, sound. Sure. Yeah. This one seemed more a little, definitely Josh had his way on that. Maybe the, I don't know what the friction actually was with him and Ruben. My assumption was that on I'm with you, Ruben was going to basically make him be John. Yeah. And this one, he's more himself. Mm. Yeah. Him and danger mouse, uh, I think definitely add, the, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, there's a different element to this than I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, random fun fact on this one. I didn't know this until I was doing some research on it. Uh, Elton John plays piano on sick love, yes. the sixth track of this album. So that's kind of cool. I didn't realize that. At the and, time. uh, he's got a writing credit on that as well. So I think he yep. does the piano part for that. Mm-hmm. Um, my other fun fact is uh, Anthony Kiedis saved a baby's life because of this album. What? So they, I didn't yeah, hear this story. So go they ahead and participated it. in ca- uh, carpool karaoke. Uh, and I forget what uh, oh, okay. his name is. Cause I hate him. Beca- yeah. Corbin, Corbin who is James the worst Corbin, of yeah. late nights. Uh, but Carbal character is pretty good. But yeah, they were yeah. filming that. Uh, it was like a brief break in between. Uh, but when they were taking break and getting some food, uh, someone out of apartments across the street came running out and uh, their baby wasn't breathing. And, and the whole band rushed over and Kiedis ended up getting handed the baby and trying CPR at first. Nothing was happening. Uh, because yeah. the the jaw uh, the baby's jaw wasn't uh, opening, so he started rubbing uh-huh. the the belly, doing some different CPR techniques. Baby CPR, uh, yeah, yeah. and ended up bubbling out, and the baby's eyes rolled back and started breathing again. Just as the paramedics showed up, Jeez. handed over, ended up leaving. But that's uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to our pro karaoke yeah. guys. <laughs> Pretty much like yeah, that happened. 
he has saved the baby's life, and then they got back in the car with Corden and filmed the rest of the set. That's wild. Good on Anthony Kiedis, making some good in, good in the world. That's why. Um, but yeah, it's definitely as as the albums have regressed, there's been uh, less and less that I've tried to critique and go over. Uh, I will say just before giving the getaways uh, final tally on my list, Frusciani has been the overwhelming influence on how rank things. Yeah, um, same. Flea, uh, Flea and the Funk have definitely been second to that. Um, but I've also enjoyed listening to Kiedis's evolution and being more comfortable uh, with being a singer and a lyricist. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely progressed on that. Definitely. Um, so, yeah. So I'm assuming, I think you're going to be the opposite of me on this mm-hmm. one. This is my number seven. Cause it kind of like, it's still good, but yeah, very middle of the road. Nothing too special. I agree. Um, yeah. There, there were some bangers that just have a good time with, but overall, Getaway is my number nine. Okay. So yeah, that covers the entire discography of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We got through it. Hell yeah, dude. So I guess we'll do a quick recap. I know we kind of talked through everything. And uh, so we'll just go one through 11. Yeah. Or should we go 11 through one? Let's go one through uh, one. No, I, I like, ele- I like 11 through 11 one. Through one. All right, we'll go 11 through one. So, uh, 11 for me, self-titled, 1984, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mine is One Hot Minute. Number 10, I have Freaky Style. I have self-titled Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. Number 9, I got my One Hot Minute there. That's where I've got the getaway. All right. Number 8, I have I'm With You. And that's where Uplift Multiple Party Plan comes into play. Mm-hmm. And then number 7, I have the getaway. That's I'm With You for sure. <laughs> uh number six is where i have my uplift mofo party plan that's my by the way that might be our most uh offset yeah i think so um number five i have stadium arcadium that's where freaky styley comes in for me and then this is where we had our first match first of two yeah. uh number four mother's, mother's milk. milk yeah good record uh number three californication okay. Stadium Arcadium here. Yeah. Number two, by the way, this is our biggest discussion. Yeah, I think it is. It's a four point jump. So that's Californication here. Okay. And then number one, Sugar Undisputed Magic. Yeah. Good album. Good album. So, yeah, that's all we have. Let us, uh, I guess, you know, let us know what your rankings would be. Reach out to us, post on our socials, and, uh, See where you differ from us. Just good to see different people's opinions on this thing. I mean, you're wrong, but I'm here to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) We're definitely the authority. Just two random dudes in our apartments talking about it. But yeah, uh, do you have anything you want to shout out, Phil, before Uh, we end our first episode? I will. uh, I'll do some recent uh, drinks here that I'm going. So I'm, I'm not here about to listen to music and not drink alcohol at the same time. So Definitely. I'm opening it up with some Rossville Station Rye, hitting that up on the rocks. Uh, and then I'm here. I finished this off on uh, probably one of my favorites, 
revolution brewing here in the city. Chicago represent. Revolution, send us free stuff, please. Cafe Beef <laughs> 2020. Uh, uh, I, I think I like this a little bit more than 2019. Anything else? Any current obsessions? Albums that you're listening to recently? TV shows? I don't know. Whatever. Anything. Bomba socks cool. that you like? I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll cut this I will say, uh, though, I've got some recent uh, hot sauces, a Tish hot sauce company. Yes, I will second a Tish got hot sauce company. Got some mango habanero on Instagram. and some raspberry habanero. Ooh, yep. uh, and I've also got uh, my next uh, tattoo coming up, Speakeasy Tattoo Company in Chicago. There we go. Uh, been solid. Yeah. We'll see uh, probably before we record this next one. I'll have my first session done. We'll see how it goes, but I'm excited. Nice. Nice. I'll plug. Uh, I was drinking some Salamoth today. Salamoth Hazy Pale Ale, Warning Track Power. They are A plus brewery based in Naperville. Uh, worth checking out. I hope they open their city location soon so I could just walk to it and drink at their uh, tap room. That'd be great. And uh, what else would I shout out? I guess I just dropped, I put out my top albums of the year. So I guess shout out to uh, Phoebe Bridgers for my number one album of the year. I'm sure a lot of people have listened to it, but it's really good. Worth a listen. That's all I got. Anything else, Phil? I think, uh, yeah, we're set. Pow, pow, pow. The Red Hot Chili Peppers have now ended.